Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. We hope this message empowers you to love life, love Jesus, love people, and dream more. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. especially Christmas, because it's so on display if you have stuff or if you don't. It's on display if you have family or if you don't. And one of the things we wonder, too, is does God care? Well, he sent Jesus. He didn't change my circumstances. And many times I think we believe this thought where, okay, God loves me. God saved me. Jesus is real. Okay, you might have entered that tier. Or I don't know if he's real because I I tried him once and he didn't change everything around me. It is a mirage if we think that God is most interested in just giving us stuff or circumstance changing. He's interested in heart transformation. He's interested in freedom peace that passes all understanding, singing songs that you could be in a jail cell, but yet you're still free. This is what the gospel is. It cuts to the core. I'm talking, it is not about what is on display on the outside. It is always about what we carry on the inside. And I think that God is here this morning in such a powerful way to captivate us, to have control. I have this story of um, pain and gain. But part of my story is the victim mentality where I remember saying, okay, I'm not going to go to college because my parents, you should have saved up for it. And well, of course I was fighting at school. You got divorced. Well, coach put me on the bench and if they wouldn't have done that, maybe I'd still uh, be working hard for the team. If boss would have given me a promotion, then maybe I'd Give more effort. And that uh, really crippled me. It, it, it put a lid on my life. And though even sometimes I was right in my perspective, wrong in, in, in how it could develop me. I had this moment in 2002 where I was laying on the uh, floor in my dad's house. We were watching the Ohio State national title game, Ohio State versus Miami. It was the uh, overtime game, controversial. Well, at halftime, I felt like God told me to go pray. And as I was praying, it was one of those Ebenezer Scrooge moments where you have this out-of-body experience, okay? And it takes you back to all your moments in life. The ghost of Christmas past, if you speak. And there was moments in my life, literally, that I felt that God took me to supernaturally. And he said, I was there. 
you were, well, that pain happened. Look, look a little further. And I really believe that God was showing me how much pain he was holding back and that he was changing my perspective of those moments. Where I once felt alone, I realized he was always the one protecting me. And even the moment of the bench, he said, I put you on the bench. No, I didn't have the, my parents weren't coach, I wasn't the coach's son. I had all these issues and these, no, I'm on the bench because uh, I was treated wrong. He goes, no, you're on the bench because you know what it's like to feel left out. You know what it's like to now. You're more equipped to love people deeper that the court moments would have never have taught you what I taught you on the bench. And I realized that victim mentality started to switch to a victor mentality. That God is victorious and he can use every setting, every situation, what the enemy meant for evil. Now, does that discount our pain? No. But it starts to give us perspective to say, does God care? Yeah. Absolutely. He really cares. And one of the neatest things about Christmas is he wasn't just there then. He is here now. This isn't a story we read, oh, Jesus, and he comes, and he's in the manger. That is part of it, but it's not meant to be experienced like that. It's meant to be understood to, to realize that since the history of all of creation It points to one person and one kingdom that will go on forever. In fact, as we behold, the the word behold means to see or observe, to magnify, to really give all attention, preeminence to. Whoa. And in the example it uses, the use of the word is this. Behold, the king is here. And friends, that is what today is, that the king is is here and we're going to behold him that jesus is near he's going to rip down religious walls and barriers does god care you could google today and find that there's moves of jesus all across the the earth but when jesus showed up in the scene you got to understand that that god was silent for 400 years debatably the darkest period in the history of mankind Because we had been so rebellious, not listening to God for so long. He's like, okay, I'm going to let you do your own way. A lot of times we think God is Santa. God, if you're real, do this. If you're real, get me out of this situation. If you're real, if you're real, if you're real, I want that money. I want that job. I want, wait, if you're real, I better stand in attention because you're God and I'm not. Scientists say this. We use 8 to 12% of our brain. Have we been humbled yet? Has life humbled you? I know it will if it hasn't. And so the posture of understanding what the kingdom and the king is like is is always a posture of grace and humility and that God comes in our darkest hour and he initiates love and he offers it freely. That's the gift of grace. Oh, silent night. It wasn't just a silent night. It was a very dark night. Because the move of God wasn't existing. And then it became a holy night as God himself comes down. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, the story says, In the sixth month of the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Pause. When you know you, you don't add up, you don't measure up, you've been living wrong, you don't have the right 
background, resume, you name it, and you walk into an environment where you're exposed and you feel different, for a lot of us, like, yeah, okay, that's me every day. Okay, cool, cool. You, so you should know this feeling. The temptation to kind of put your hand, head down. You can walk in the hallways at schools and you can see the kids that feel kind of outcast and their head's often down. And I think as we vulnerably interact with God, our natural state is this, because we know we're not worthy. It's like, yeah. But the same way that God uses the angel Gabriel to talk to Mary, I believe this is how God talks to you right now. Oh, favored one. This is how God speaks, that you're, oh, favored one, that you have favor. Lift your head up. Look at me. God is the one that offers freedom. He says, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. When we stand face to face with God, if we're just exposed with our own sin, it is very frightening. But when we're covered by Jesus, it's freeing. We're supposed to confidently and boldly come in close face to face with God. And God tells us things like this. Do not be afraid. Jerome, Mary, insert your name. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and you will be called, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. I love this, the language throne. He's a king. He's a king. All these man-made rulers and people with power, insert anybody. I mean, we all have power to some degree. You might have somebody you oversee, you lead, somebody looks up to you. We have power. What do we do with that power? If we think that we're the end of all power, we will abuse our power always. But when we recognize we have to submit and we're accountable to the real king, oh, wow. That's why we have the phrase, Torian, you remember we talked about writing a song for this? Um, We don't bow because we already did to King Jesus. And so any king, we will give him honor and stuff. We don't bow to anybody else. We'll we'll give honor. In fact, we'll give radical honor because we recognize that we're honoring God as we honor his delegates. But if we look to the delegates, we're not looking high enough. We're not looking high enough. Looking to the pain, looking to our fathers, looking to our parents. We're not looking high enough. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign, I like this, over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, what gets lost in translation, and especially in the Jesus Bible story, okay, God comes down, we sing some songs, he's in the manger, but this is where I really want to hit you all right now and me with this evangelist linebacker type mentality, not to break your bones, but to break the walls and the barriers down, and here's the walls and the barriers, that we're just going to experience some religious kind of checklist and read a story that was just for them then, but the key king is here now, and the God of Jacob applies to the God today, and if we don't have an on-ramp to illustrate to us that it's so powerful, we'll start to think it's formality, and we'll do it because I probably should, right? We probably should pray, and then, if, and then if somebody has a good prayer, that's a good prayer. That's a good one. That's a good one. Are you calling somebody to pray? Uh, I don't really know how to pray. Who cares? Do you know how to talk? Yeah, we know how to talk. Then pray. Pray. Say something. What's the prayer God heard? Not the long, lofty one. 
I remember sitting with the pastor one time, and uh, we were going to eat lunch, and he goes, I'll pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this food. Amen. And we start eating. And I remember it, it affected me. Dude, we didn't stop and pause. And, and then I reflected on it. Man, I think he had faith in that moment that he was just thankful. And I wanted to draw this out into some long exercise, which is nothing wrong with long exercises if we know why. Because as a kid, you know, when parents tell you to go shovel the snow, I don't want to until I recognize now the why, the reason you, do, as soon as the snow flies, you stay on top of it because a sheet of ice will be on there. And there doesn't matter how much you're out there extra long. And now when I pay for liability insurance, when people come to my house, now I know the why behind the what. Get out, boy, and shovel. Why? Why do we have to do it right when it happens? One, it's an experience. When people come to your house and it's shoveled, like, welcome. You know, when it's not slushing, it's like, oh, gosh, they don't have a shovel. Life must be, I mean, if you want to know if someone's life's hard, just look outside. It's just like, oh, my goodness, you know. That's not totally true because I remember driving by people's house and there would be kids' toys everywhere, and the perception I'd had is, man, that, that must just be a free-for-all there, I mean. And then now I look at our yard, I'm thinking, I'm surprised no one's done inter intervention, you know. That bike's been left outside for weeks. Um, if you don't know the why behind the what, the Jesus story means nothing. Coming to church means nothing. But when you know the why behind the what and you recognize that the best Bible tip we could ever have is it's one story about one person in one kingdom. Since the very beginning. Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, and us. We're in the era of, era of grace. It's beautiful. Wanna, we're going to go through a few clips here of just the Jesus story and hope to connect it at the end for a real experiential moment to respond. I think there's hurts here, thirsts here, fears, worries, concerns, depression, anxiety. And I think God wants to meet you where you're at. And... That the baby came is now the king, and he reigns. And his spirit is alive and real and powerful. Here's clip one. The Gospel of Luke. Luke investigated many of the earliest eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus and then composed this account. And the story begins up in the hills of Jerusalem, the place where Israel's ancient prophets said that God himself would come one day to establish his kingdom over all the earth. In the city is the temple run by the priests. And one of them, named Zechariah, was working in the temple when he had a vision that freaks him out. An angel appears and says that he and his wife will have a son. What's this all about? Well, Zechariah and his wife, we're told, are very old. They've never been able to have children. And Luke's setting up a parallel here with Abraham and Sarah, the great ancestors of Israel, because they too were very old and could never have kids. Yet God gave them a son, Isaac, which is how the whole story of Israel began. And so Luke's implying here that God's about to do something that significant for this people once again. I'm kind of the illustrator narrator here to help create more on-ramps and why behind the what. The phrase that I love that they used was the parallel of even how um, that, that John the Baptist is born in an unlikely 
stage in, in, in the couple's life and how Jesus shows up in the scene is extremely unlikely that uh, a, a virgin would be filled and conceived by the Holy Spirit. And I know sometimes we kind of check out our brain, all right, if I'm going to believe in Jesus, do I have to be kind of a science fiction writer? Is that what we're saying? And in fact, though, God is, is, is there's so much evidence that, evidence that points to God that, that um, it's the least faith jump I've found, but every worldview has a faith jump, and I think that faith is built into the equation. And if you pause for a moment and just think about it, we're sitting on a piece of dust floating in the universe, and you and I use 8 to 12% of our brain, but yet we're comprehending to each other. You're thinking thoughts. We have love. We have feelings. And then we look out and we say, whoa, the vastness of God. There has to be some divine creator based upon all of this evidence. <laughs> you go see a building. There had to have been someone who worked on this building, even though I didn't see them building the building. Everything in life points to divine order. And so I, I would absolutely make a case that yeah, God is, whoa, come on. We aren't. That's obvious. Because which one of us is God? No. So how do we find help? And the God who made the mountain is the God who also comes down from the mountain because every time we try to climb up, our best efforts, we fall right back down. And this is how grace is so powerful. It's even by grace that I, I, I get to read today and remember and reflect and then point towards that the God then is the God here now. And I love how it's all connected. Here's clip two. The angel tells Zechariah to name the son John. And then he says that the son's going to fulfill a promise of Israel's ancient prophets, that somebody would come one day to prepare Israel to meet their God when he arrived to rule in Jerusalem. Because right now, Jerusalem is ruled by the Romans. Yeah, specifically, it's governed by a man named Herod, who's a puppet king under the Roman Empire. And so the Jewish people wanted nothing more than to be free and govern themselves in their own land. So this is shocking news. Everything's going to change. God's on his way. But how is he going to arrive? Well, to find out, Luke takes us out of Jerusalem and then up into a small town in the hills of an out-of-the-way region called Galilee. And there we find a young woman named Mariam, or we call her Mary. She was engaged to be married. And then an angel appears to Mary saying that she's going to have a son. She's supposed to name him Jesus, which in Hebrew means the Lord saves. And he will be a king like David who will rule over God's people forever. And then Mary asks, okay, well, how is this possible? Because I'm a virgin. And she's told that the same Holy Spirit that brought life and light out of darkness in Genesis chapter 1 is going to generate life inside her womb. God is about to bind himself to humanity through the conception and the birth of the Messiah. And so Mary goes from some backwoods, no-name girl to the future mother of the king? Exactly. In fact, she sings a song about how this reversal of her own social status points to a greater upheaval to come. Through her son, God's going to bring down rulers from their thrones and exalt the poor and the humble. He's going to turn the whole world order upside down. I love thinking about how Jesus enters the scene because Jesus had every right to enter in power 
every right. But he entered in meekness. He entered so low. He left all the riches and the comfort of heaven, all the authority, and he shows up and identifies with the most broken. What kind of king is this? One who would ride a donkey to his death. A donkey to his death. And a lot of his followers would ask him, why aren't you using the power now? Do the stuff, save yourself. And he recognized, no, I have to go low as the lamb now. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because his sacrifice made it possible for you and me to have new life. I've been to enough funerals right, uh, in, in my life now, and I've done more than I ever would have thought. And, and uh, life is frail. Eternity is real. And we're not meant for death, and that's why it hurts us so bad. But, oh, death, where is your sting? Because we have freedom, because the forever king has stepped into my life and your life. And if you don't know him today, man, his power is here new now. Don't wait, initiate. This is it. The time is now. And that's not pressure. That's compassion. I read in my notes this morning. Um, I haven't read them in a long time, but in, I had some preaching tip docs that I would, uh, like a doc I created that I would read before I would go on stage. And one of which was, preach as if it was your own son on his last day in the crowd. Like, man, time is short. Today is the day to wake up and see, behold, God. Let him change your perspective that the bench was something he could use to equip you. That all those moments when you were forgotten about, you weren't. He was there. He knows. And he knows your pain well. In fact, he sent his son. He gets it. But his timeline's different than ours. In fact, a day is like a thousand to him. And so... This story is one that is alive, very real today, and this is the last clip. So when Mary was really pregnant, she and her fiancé, Joseph, had to go down to Bethlehem. Yeah, there was a decree across the Roman Empire about new taxes, and so everybody had to go get registered in the town of their family line. There were so many visitors in Bethlehem, they can't find a guest room. And so the only place they can find is a spot where animals sleep. Now nearby were some shepherds with their flocks and an angel appears, which, of course, freaks them out. But they're told to celebrate, because tonight in Bethlehem, a savior has been born. Yeah, they're told to go and find this baby, and they'll know that it's the Messiah because he's going to be wrapped up and laying in a grimy feeding trough. Yeah, which is pretty gross. Totally. And then these shepherds, who aren't very clean themselves, they go and find the newborn Jesus in this really dingy place, and their minds are blown. They go home wondering what on earth is about to happen. And this is all really strange. I mean, if God's really coming to save the world, this isn't how you would expect him to arrive. Born in an animal shelter to a teenage girl, celebrated by no-name shepherds. Exactly. I mean, everything is backwards in Luke's story, and that's the point. He is showing how God's kingdom was first revealed in these dirty places among the poor, because Jesus is here to bring salvation by turning our world order upside down. How powerful. Jesus is pretty neat. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. There was a moment being out in Colorado. I'd only been there one time. 
And so I've just got to talk about my one-time experience. But there's, there's light pollution for cities. So us even being in Lansing, if we look up at the sky, we're not going to see the stars as clear because of the omission from the lights. And out in Colorado in the middle of nowhere with very few humans and mountains out of my comfort zone. I looked up, and the sky was so clear, and I was very humbled, and I looked at God's handiwork, and I marveled, and I just beholded him and paused and saw him. And as I saw him, I saw how little I was, but since he made much of his son and gave me access, I felt gravity of how much he saved me and how much he loves me. And it, and it started to just kind of make the pain fade. That's where we're ending here. To behold God, Jesus. That you would really invite him into those places that hurt. And then he can, he can do it. Psalm 8, 3, 4, 3 and 4 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moons, the stars, which you have set in place. What is it? Man, that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, that you care for him? Why would you care for mankind? I mean, we create nuclear weapons. That doesn't sound, why would you care for a species like that? Like, oh, I got this idea. It's a new weapon. It can blow up a continent, but we could also use it for power. You think we should go on? Who let that go on? And we're going to keep seeing that because we're always having this power struggle to, to, to play God. And it'll go on. But it, our sin and our toil doesn't re, reflect the glory of God all the time. And so he had to come down and give us him. There's a uh, picture I forgot to talk about at the first service so you guys get this because this is kind of what the whole message was about. I love this quote. Zoe Chilton has this on her. Her dad's Chili Chilton. He's a legend to me. He planted a church in Detroit before Detroit was, you know, the tech place where Dan Gilbert's dominating, which is awesome. But he planted, and in, in the, they had a church in, in the Magic Stick. Anybody know that's a nightclub? They had a church there. Um, so she has this quote. It says, look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else. C.S. Lewis. So the point there is, when you look at Jesus, you actually find meaning for everything else. And when we come to Jesus, we come to him like Santa. Here's my list, God. Wait, that's not how this works. He's offering brand new life. He's offering lordship retrain us, proper health, direction, guidance, protection from darkness, and then he gives good gifts to his children. Seek ye the kingdom first in his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. As we delight in his word, he gives us the desires of our heart. That's how this always works, is that how would he be mindful of us? And there's a throne in our life, one that's always being competed for. There's a, a throne that only is reserved for Jesus, but Satan tries to enter this throne really quick, and 
disguise himself and he lies, doesn't he? Have anybody felt lies? He tells you you're not worth it, right? That your failures, yep, all the time, constantly, 24-7. I love sitting sometimes with people and they're, you're never going to get this one, Pastor. It's, it's a deep one. It's a hard one, I'm telling you. And so I already go to, so are you a serial killer? So like, you know what I mean? And, and I hope not, but like we can talk about it and, and, and for sure get you the help. But, but most of the time, they don't shock me because, whoa, okay, cool. And they're surprised because they thought it would shock me. No, I, I know how Satan talks. Yeah. All the time. But greater is he that's in me, so I got to turn up that volume. There's two volumes all the time. So check this clip out. Santa. <laughs> Who the heck are you? Okay, what are you talking you about? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. Uh, why, of course I am. <laughs> well, if you're Santa, what song did I sing for you on your birthday this year? Uh, happy birthday, of course. <laughs> uh, so, uh, how old are you, son? Four. You're a big boy. What's your name? And uh, what can I oh, get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. Let the kid talk. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. You sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? <laughs> no, he's kidding. You stink. I think you're going to have a good Christmas, all right? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay, good. He's a pastor! smell like beef and cheese. That's what sin smells like, beef and cheese. Actually, beef and cheese smells good, but. Um, the throne of lies is real. And we give Satan way too much place and position and power in our lives subconsciously, but, but oftentimes consciously because we maybe let the victim set up shop a little too long. We started to not only hear the lie, but speak the lie. We didn't let anybody in on what we were experiencing. We felt like as if we're the only one going through it when we're not. And the throne, when Jesus sits on it, now we can remind, because of the power of the throne and the authority being a king's kid, as an ambassador from a foreign land, that I now can say, devil, you're under my feet because of Jesus. You can't talk like that. You won't have my family. You won't be able to continue to breed insecurity over people. That we're going to lift up our head and hear, oh, favored one, and find freedom and be free Free, free. But you got to let God into those places you don't, maybe, maybe you just really don't want to let him to because you've seen so many imposters and you did the, you did the, the class thing and you, 
you know, you did the kids storybook Bible or you, and that's all good, but it's really meant to be experienced that God is so powerful today, right here, right now. The King is here. Jesus is here. He sits with you. He speaks your name. He calls you by your first name. He personalizes everything. I said this at the rally, but I remember walking into um, the travel truck stops when you were driving long distances. You, you know, like the, the travel centers. That's what they are, travel center. And you'd go there, and they'd have the name tag things. And you'd go around and, hey, okay, Jay, Jeff, Jeremy, Jared, and uh, no Jerome. And people would say, well, Jeremy's pretty close. No, it's not. It's not close. It's not close. It's not close. It's not close at all. I love Jeremy's, but it's not Jeremy. It's Jeremy, but it's, I, I love them. I love them, but it's not Jerome. And I remember feeling that just a soft way, like your name is included. And, and as I got older, um, people, every time they meet me, they think I'm going to be some big black dude because they realize this short little uh, white kid named Jerome who raps. And that's just been the story forever. And, and what I've realized, though, is it's cool because it, it kind of spoke to the narrative of my life listening to hip-hop at a young age and, and then God calling me out into this and then really understanding how people feel even further that are way more marginalized than I could ever imagine because there's privilege I have just by being white and walking in a place. Yeah, I'll say it again. There's privileges I have just by being white and walking in a place. That's a fact. And But Jesus closed the gap. He came so unlikely. He came. Do you know he came in, uh, through a woman? He didn't have to. Women did not have a lot of power in their time. In fact, to receive the kingdom like a child, the statement was so bold because children were the lowest tier, a lot different than how we would picture it today. If someone hurts a kid, we say, what are you doing? It's a child, right? Back then, dude, child, they can't pay for themselves. They can't earn their keep. They definitely can't, they definitely can't uh, lead us any place in power if there was an a, a actual war. Forget the children. And that's why we, they'd make them soldiers at 11 or 12. Manhood started way earlier. This whole idea of being 40 on your you know, mom's couch, that was way not happening. No offense if someone's 40 on your mom's couch. Life, that happens, that happens, you know? I mean, that's how it works. That's real life. No shame in the game. John 12, 43 says, For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Talking about Pharisees and people of power. That, that which throne are we really going to hold on to? I don't want mine. I don't want yours. I want Jesus's. And that's the one. We want his glory, his glory alone. Behold him, point to him. And he starts to just do work. Oh, man. I saw a video of Shaq yesterday. Shaq, he got the ball in the post. It was against the Knicks. And he dunked on, I can't remember who it was, but it's a Kurt Rambis looking guy. And he dunked on him and the dude fell. And I'm like, that's the type of work when Jesus does when he steps in the sea. He just crushes the devil. He's like, bang, Shaq in his prime. Just boom, and pushes it down. We got to let Jesus be on the throne. For real. He's the throne. He is everything. One, see God clearly this morning. Two, behold, the king is here right now. Three, look to Jesus, not two ourself or anybody else that's it there's only one that can set us free so here's what we're going to do we're going to sing our father in heaven hallowed be your name because you're totally worth it 
your kingdom come because it's here and we want to be in tune with it. So we're checking all of our pride. We're checking our egos. We're checking our insecurities. And we're just asking for all of you. We're lifting our head up. There's no shame. And we're going to pray. We're going to worship. But we want to pray for you. Where it hurts. Where are you thirsty? Would you be so bold that you'll come up front and maybe kneel? Uh, and some of the leaders, if you guys with the We Got You badges, and just come up front and we're going to lay hands on people and pray for people. Doesn't have to be long. It can be Jesus. Thank you for this food. Amen. Right? And, and, and we pray a prayer of faith over them that God will meet them in this Christmas season more than anything. This is not head knowledge. This is an experiential moment, okay? So I want to invite you into that. Uh, will you join me and stand as we sing? Will you come up front if you're dealing with issues and pain? And if you don't know Jesus, it's super simple. If you're a sinner, look. The end of ourselves is we're dead in sin and we're never made to be right. That God can make us brand new in a moment if you just say, Jesus, make me new. I accept you as Lord and Savior. It's that good. It's that real. And he'll give you that freedom today. So I, I, I thank you for being brave and coming up front. So those that come up front, just yeah, keep kind of moving out. And if, if more to come up front on this aisle too. We want to pray for people. Uh, and this isn't the moment to, if you want to stare and watch people, that's fine. But, uh, but I would invite you more. Close your eyes. Sing. Let the kingdom hit you. Let, the, let God and, 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 and go to those areas that hurts. Go to the worries, the pains, the frustrations, the, the place where you want control, but God wants to control. That his ways are higher and better right now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. For more information, messages, and to partner financially, go to citylifelansing.com. You belong here.